Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. I want to talk to you really more than anything tonight about joy, rejoicing, about joy, being, uh, being joyful. Have you ever met someone who calls himself a Christian that just looks miserable all the time? Won't you come to church with me? Why would I want to go to church there? My goodness, you're sad all the time. Looks like you've been baptized in lemon juice. Get, get, a, get a smile out of you. We have to stand you on your head in the corner. Turn your frown upside down. Get a smile. I, you know, I mean, there's some people that, you know, I, I call them just grouchy Christians. They're just grouchy. They, they say they're, bless God, this is what I believe, and if people want to get along with me and be my friends, they're going to have to believe this too, bless God. That's not God's way. No, we're supposed to be joyful, aren't we? I was talking to someone earlier this week and I told him, I said, the scriptures tell us that it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. It's not condemnation. In fact, the Bible said in John chapter 3, and I'm just kind of meddling a little bit here in the beginning, but in John chapter 3 and verse 16, we like to quote that. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But verse 17 says, For God sent not His Son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that scripture tells me that the gospel of condemnation does not work to the saving of the lost. It's the gospel of the love of God that works. So, you know, when we meet people sometimes who call themselves Christians and they just look and act miserable all the time, there are a few reasons for that. Number one, they've probably been sitting under the wrong kind of teaching. They've probably been taught that To live for God is to live an intense lifestyle. And we don't have to be intense all the time. We can be happy. We can laugh. We can have a great time. God wants us to do that. And so I don't think that we have to be sad and down in the moly grubs and grouchy and angry and upset all of the time in order to classify ourselves as a Christian. So you say to me, but well... You don't know what I've been through, Pastor. You don't know what I've lost. You don't know what it's cost me. Let me give you just a a few pieces of advice, okay? Good, good, friendly, pastoral, to-the-point advice, okay? Instead of looking at the glass half empty, start seeing it half full. What have you got left to work with? What have you got left to work with? Instead of looking at what you don't have, Look at what you do have. And what you do have is what God will use to get you more. God's not going to use what you've lost to help you get what you need. God's going to use what's in your hand. And so look at what you still have. So work with what's left. That's number one. Number two, good good advice. Number two, just focus on the good. Are you preaching the power of positive thinking? Absolutely. Focus on the good. If you're interested in focusing on the bad, just watch the news. You can do that. You can get all the negativity that you want on your news channel. You can get all the negativity that you want probably in your workplace. 
Why don't we as Christians take the responsibility for the atmosphere in which we live and when people pop all that negative toward us, why don't we reciprocate goodness? Why don't we reciprocate joy? And so focus on the good. There's always something good to focus on. Well, you don't understand my battle. You got up this morning, didn't you? You're breathing. You're this side of of the ground, of, of the dirt. You're still sucking air. You're doing good. You're living for the Lord. You have the opportunity. Okay, and then here's the third thing that I just want to mention, and this is all just in the foundation of what I'm but I'm trying what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give us some ground rules on keeping our joy. Okay? Here's the third thing that you need to do. You need to cut the complainers and the critical people out of your life. Hello? Cut the complainers and the critical people out of your life. Life will pull you down if you let it. Why would we give the enemy help by allowing people that want to pull us down into our life? So here's a good rule of thumb. Hang around people that celebrate you, not tolerate you. Hang around people that believe in you instead of feel like they're around you because they have to be around you. So surround yourself. Now, I realize sometimes on our jobs and stuff, we can't really pick who works with us. I I understand that. But what I'm saying is in those situations where you have a choice, make sure that you surround yourself with positive people. Make sure you surround yourself with people that love God. Make sure you surround yourself with people that are happy, that are joyful. Make sure that you, you know, when they get in the car, make sure that you're letting nice people get in your car and, and people that, that are going to laugh with you going down the road instead people that are going to sit there and talk about everybody and everything and have a critical spirit and by the time you get to your destination you just want to go somewhere and crawl in a hole. You don't want to be around people like that. You want to be around people that when you get out of the car when you get to your destination you're ready to take on the world because you encouraged them and they encouraged you. So... Hang around the right kind of people. Now, there are Christians that are just the opposite of what I've talked about. There are Christians who who are full of peace. They're full of joy. They live in love. And here's the cool thing about it. They're probably experiencing the same challenges that you are. What's the difference? Life choice. They made a choice. God's Word said... In Romans chapter 12 and verse number 12 that I am to rejoice in hope. And so I have decided that no matter what happens, I will rejoice. Something happened. We received a letter in the mail this week on Monday. And I read it. And it's an assault against our church. And I giggled when I read it. I'm like, devil, is that all you got? <laughs> My Lord, goodness gracious. Now, here's, and, and, and so, so some of the staff came in and said, what are we going to do? I said, we're not going to let this disrupt our life. This is not going to disrupt our day. We're going to be just fine. We're going to be great, praise the Lord. And I, and I chose right then to not let that letter do what it was intended to do to this church to this ministry, and to me personally. And see, that's the point that I want to make. You have a choice. 
you can make up your mind how you're going to respond to an attack from Satan. You can make up your mind how you're going to respond when people come against you. You can make up your mind how you're going to respond when you look at your checkbook and there's more month left than money. You can choose how am I going to respond when I get the doctor's report that I was not wanting to get. You can choose how you want to respond. Now here's what the Bible said. The Bible said to rejoice in hope. So if I rejoice in hope, understanding that hope is the blueprint of what I'm believing God for, so if I rejoice in hope, then I'm rejoicing in the answer that I believe is on the way because God is on my side. Hallelujah. And so you have a choice. You can decide how you're going to handle those things. So, the, so here we go. You ready? The foundation of our joy is, is to be hopeful. Be joyful in hope. Now let me say this. Joy is not just a feeling. It's not. Joy is not just a feeling. It's not just a matter of personal temperament. And joy is not just a matter of our circumstances or our environment. Joy is our choice. We choose whether we're going to be happy. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 4, to rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Now Paul was writing to the Philippian church and he repeated it twice in that scripture. One sentence, two times rejoice to the Philippian church, okay? Uh, the injunction to rejoice must mean that the conditions in Philippi were such as to make the call to rejoice seem unreasonable. So here's what Paul was saying. I believe Paul was saying to the Philippian church, he was trying to say, in spite of your circumstances, in spite of being annoyed, in spite of being in disagreement, in spite of, in spite of being persecuted, rejoice. Just go on and rejoice. Well, that was Paul. Peter said the same thing pretty much in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 13. He said, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So Peter was saying, In the midst of your suffering, rejoice. Because if you do, there's going to come a time when you're going to experience Exceeding joy. Wow, that's cool. I can't see that on the back screen. I didn't even know that was back behind me. Hallelujah. So here's what, here's what, here's what we come... Now listen, I want to help us have joy. We've got to understand that true joy... Somebody say true joy. True joy. I mean, not just any kind. I'm talking about true joy. Real joy, true joy is not bound by our circumstances. It's not bound by what the doctor says. Once again, it's not bound by what the bank account says. It's not bound by what somebody does to us. True joy is not bound by our circumstances. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 34. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourself that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Now here's something I want us to understand. I'm going to give you some... So if I, can, if I can give you a little encouragement tonight. Troubles, trials, heaviness, difficulties, they're all seasonal. 
I'm going to say that again because I don't think it's sunk in. Troubles and trials and difficulties, heaviness, those types of things, they're all seasonal. Now here's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm trying to, to show you from, from the Word of God that, that a season comes and a season goes. And so the heaviness is not going to last forever. The discouragement is not going to last forever. The financial difficulty is not going to last forever. I don't believe that sickness has to last forever. And so we've got to realize, you know what? I'm going to continue worshiping God and I'm going to continue praising God and I'm going to keep the joy of the Lord inside of me because I realize that this season one day will pass and I'm not going to let my joy be robbed from me by my circumstances because the joy of the Lord is what gives me the strength to make it through these circumstances. Now, 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 6 through 7. This was the Christians in Asia Minor. Peter was writing to them. He said this. He said, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. Come on, somebody say a season. I'm just backing up what I just shared with you. Now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Verse number 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul was writing to the Christians in Asia Minor. He said this difficulty, this trouble, this trial that you're going through, which is just on you for a season, God was saying, I value that greater than gold. Because in the midst of the trial and the trouble and the difficulties, we learn to rely upon the Lord. We learn to realize that He is our source. That's when we learn that Mama's not my source and Daddy's not my source and my brother's not my source and Grandma and Grandpa's not my source and my job's not my source and my doctor's not my source and my friends aren't my source. God is my source, and that's when we learn that God is our source. Now, let me say something. I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to say this. Let me say this. I can't tell you why not everybody gets healed. I don't know. I'm going to be straight. I don't have all the answers. Come on, pinch your neighbor just a little bit on the hand. Just pinch him a little, just a little. Say, say did you feel that? Say, say, pastor's just that human. Come on, tell them, say, your pastor's just that human. I'm just that human. I don't have all the answers. I don't know. Now, I know a lot about the Word because I study the Word. And the more I study, the more I find out I don't know. <laughs> but I, but, but, but I'm, I'm pretty well versed in the Word of God. And just because I don't have the answer to why maybe someone in my family, which has happened, or someone in your family didn't get their healing and they went on to their reward, just because I don't have the answer for that doesn't mean that God is still not a healer. Because God's Word says that He is. God's Word says that He is. I don't, I don't know. 
I don't know. Here's what I do know. I do know that he said that he would never leave us and he would never forsake us and that he would walk with us through difficulties and through those times of understanding and through those times when we say, Lord, I don't understand why I'm going through this. I don't understand what's... But Lord, I'm going to keep my faith up and I'm going to trust you and I'm going to believe in you. And just like Job, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he'll stand in the latter day upon this earth and if skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I know I'll see God, which these eyes shall behold and not another. His wife said to him, how long are you going to retain your integrity? Why don't you just go ahead and curse God and die? Haven't you had enough? And Job said, you talk to me like a foolish woman. He said, should we receive good from the hand of God and not receive evil? In other words, should we never expect to go through a trouble, trial, or a battle? Let me tell you something. Faith people go through battles... If there was never a battle to fight, there would be no reason for faith. So in the midst of the battle, we keep our joy because when we keep our joy, it gives us our strength. But I want you to understand that in the trial, the tribulation, all that is just seasonal and God puts great value on those seasons because in the midst of our trouble and in the midst of our trial, when our faith is tried, our hearts become more melded to God and we see Him better as our source. So the key to joy is hope. If you need joy, if you need your more joy, then work on your hope. Well, why would I work on my hope? Because hope is the blueprint of the soul, seed of the mind, will, and the emotions. Hope is the blueprint of what you're believing God for. Your bank account might say, well, you don't have very much there, but if you've got the blueprint, I'm giving this as an example, but if you've got the blueprint of a new sanctuary next door, you might not have a whole lot in your hand, but you have the blueprint, you have the hope. You can see it through the eyes of faith. And as we continue to trust God, as we continue and begin to embark upon this journey to begin to see what God will do and we position ourselves through hope, And through hope, the circle of faith, through hope and through faith and through endurance and through patience and through tribulation, as we continue through that circle of faith, eventually we'll have the experience. And that experience will come to fruition. So if we need joy, then we got to work on our hope. Now, when I start getting down and depressed and discouraged, I start looking at what I think, okay, all right, Lord, this is what we're going to believe. There are times I'll get a little bit discouraged and I'll just go for a walk on the property. You go for a walk on the property, faith begins to rise. Why? Because the hope starts coming alive. Your faith starts coming alive again. And then you start imagining, you start seeing, you start seeing, wow, one of these days we're going to be in there and it's going to look like this. It's going to be so cool. I can't hardly wait. Woo, hallelujah. And that's what happens. So if you need joy, then work on your hope. When that starts coming alive inside of you, it brings joy. It brings joy inside of you. Now, If Christians aren't joyful, it's because they have no hope. I don't know why any authentic Christian would not have joy. When we know the back of the book, we have something great to look forward to. Oh my goodness. If my eyes close in death tonight, I'm just going to open them up and look into the eyes of Jesus. Wow. How cool is that? 
One of our pastors in North Carolina last night, he's younger than I am, was, has a, a wife and three little kids. And was killed in an automobile accident last night by a drunk driver. His wife put the most beautiful post on a thing. We have a little uh, group called the Excellent Pastor, which is some of our some of us pastors, there are about 2,000 of us from the Church of God that are pastors, that, and that's we communicate back and forth with each other. It's a closed group, and we communicate back and forth with each other, things to pray about and things that are working and things aren't. And so it's like a little support thing, you know. And she put the most beautiful thing. She said, I don't know how in the world people could make it without God. She said, I'm going to miss him terribly, but I have so much peace. So much peace. Why? Because she knows that she'll see him again. Hallelujah. So hope is the blueprint of what we're believing God for. So, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Let me run through these other two just real quickly, like, okay? So, tribulation builds strength that endures. Why do I have to go through tribulation? Because it builds strength to endure. The process of the battle produces endurance in our lives. Patience means more than simply enduring or forbearing. Patiently enduring involves faith activity irregardless of the trials that we are facing. So this faith activity includes, according to the Scripture, but it's not limited to doing good, staying in the Word, and having an active prayer life. Now, tribulation is defined as severe affliction, distress of life, vexation, Webster's, and these could be trials suffered for the cause of Christ, and the Bible teaches us that these things will go on or increase more and more as time goes on. And Paul encourages us. He said, in the midst of your tribulation, just keep pressing on and doing good. Just press on and do good. If I allow what someone does to me to dictate what I do to them, then I have surrendered the control of my life and what it can produce to their whimsical mentality instead of living in surrender to my Heavenly Father. That makes sense? So I'm not going to allow my enemies to dictate my life. I'm not going to let them allow them to dictate how I think. I'm not going to let them allow uh, I'm not going to allow them to dictate how I act. I'm not going to uh, allow that. I'm just not going to let it happen. Okay? Why? Because God's word dictates how I act. God's word dictates how how I react. If I look at the life of my enemies and I let them draw me into what they're doing, then the most I can ever hope for is what their life is producing for them. Are you hearing me? I'm giving you some good pastoral advice here. I'm not interested in duplicating their life I want to allow God to dictate my actions. I want to allow God to dictate my mentality. I want God to be in control of my spirit because when I look at Him, I want my life 
to be a replica of what He can produce. So stick to the Word and do what God's Word says and respond to your enemies the way God's Word says to respond and realize in the midst of the tribulation and the trouble and the trial that God is God and your allegiance is to God and not the process of your battle. Allow God to use you. Allow God to use you to bring peace. Allow God to use you to bring resolution. Allow God to use you to be an example to the lost of how a Christian conducts themselves in the midst of a battle. Now, we keep pressing. And according to the Word, we just keep doing good. Now, (laughs) the last thing I want to talk to you about is this. The Bible said to be instant in prayer. So if we rejoice in hope, if we're patient in tribulation, and we continue in prayer, then that means we have to be in continual communication with our Heavenly Father, God. I want you to have joy. I want you to have joy in your life. I want you to experience God's joy. I want you to laugh a lot, even in the midst of your trial. I want you to laugh a lot. Sometimes the enemy will get to cranking and I'll just start giggling. And sometimes the old devil, he'll he'll get so mad at me. Ah, you just laugh. I said, I can't help it. It's the joy of the Lord. Glory to God. And just giggle. Kind of like Vic. My mother-in-law, she'll get so cranked, she'll, she'll, she'll get bored. We'll be sitting around. She'll get bored. She'll just work up a laugh. <laughs> and before it's over, she's going until she snorts. She's laughing so hard. It's, it's, it's hilarious. It's great. I love it. All right. One of my mentors who passed away, my very first pastor, he died in 1987. His name was D.C. Branham, and he pastored the Bible Holiness Assemblies of God Church and started the Ozark Bible Institute, the Ozark Christian Academy, and all of that in southwest Missouri in the Ozark, foothills of the Ozarks. He had a saying that he used to say, among many others, but he had a little one-liner that he would say a lot. He would say, let us contend for continuous revival. Let us contend for continuous revival. And then he would talk about, about how that, that comes through prayer. The blueprint of revival is our hope. I can see people's hearts in Pasco County turning to God. That's the blueprint. That's the blueprint. I I can see us becoming a place where we're not known for drugs anymore, that we are known for revival. Amen? For the move of God. I can see that. That's the blueprint. That's the blueprint. And I pray for that. And I not only pray for that, I pray, Lord, use us. Lord, use us. We don't want to be a little church off the beaten path over here that doesn't have any influence in their community. No, we weren't put here to just take up space. We were put here by God with a purpose to win the lost, train disciples, and influence culture for Jesus Christ. And we do it through prayer, and we do it through outreach, and we do it through trusting God, and we do it through organization, and we do it through leadership development, and we do it through infiltrating our culture for the cause of of Jesus Christ and giving God a voice in the rooms where the culture is created for our community. That's how we do it. 
We have taken literally here, we have taken literally from Judea, from Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Some people say, you can't do that. You're not a great big church. Listen, we're doing more, and I'm not saying this braggadociously. I'm saying it because we take God's word literally where he said that you're going to be witnesses for me in Acts chapter 1 in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We're taking that and trying to get our footprint in all of those areas, giving God something to work with so we can fulfill the Great Commission. You don't have to run a 1,000 people to fulfill the Great Commission. You don't have to run 2,000 people to fill the Great Commission. And I don't say this braggadociously, but this church of about 200 people is doing a heck of a lot more than a whole lot of churches that I know of that run two or 3,000 people. And we'd probably be running more if we didn't keep planting churches. We have some plants and we have some splits. But they're out there. They were trained here. And they're trying to win the lost. And for the plants, bless them. And for the splits, bless them. In the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Come on. Hallelujah. Revival comes through prayer, which is our divine connection to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-17. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us? To rejoice evermore, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks. What is it? Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in everything. In everything, give thanks. That means in the things we like and the things we don't like, we still give thanks. Right? So we live with a grateful attitude, a grateful heart. We live in thanksgiving. Lord, I don't understand what's going on, but I thank you that I have you to lean on. I thank you that when I don't understand that I can still, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not unto my own understanding. And all of my ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct my paths. So how do we please the Lord? The Bible just told us. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all things. Amen. All right, just good, practical, inductive Bible study. That's the term that they use it in Bible college. This was an inductive Bible study. All right, let's all stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at wwwsuncoast 4 and that's the number four, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.